0: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Guys, I'm
1: bringing the party to you. Is looking at you, kid?
0: Get away from her, you are going to need a bigger boat. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to This Is Film. It is 2020. We're in a brand new decade, which means we have resurrected from the ashes, a long-lost bastion of film commentary and opinions. It is the man who you often see memeing it up on our Facebook page, causing a storm. I'm talking about my Italian stallion, the, the Mediterranean Adonis that is known as Carlo. Carlo, say hi to your adoring fans who have long waited your return. It's nice to see all six of you here. Thank you for being here. Appreciate it. I'm two of them.
1: So. I know you're two of them.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so look, mate, uh, it's so good to have you back. Tim is retiring temporarily from the podcast to handle awesome opportunities in the world of being a dad and being a film teacher. I am going to Try and lead this podcast uh, And and we always kind of apologize for our long hiatuses But, you know, we have lives um, But the, the plan is that Carlo, being a man without children Might actually be able to record a few podcasts The man
1: who's made different life choices, yeah
0: Well, look, you know, I reckon in two weeks time you say, hey, by the way, I've got a son And I can't record podcasts So <laughs> these oh. things can happen So it's fine <laughs> All right, so what we're going to do is we're going to, um, I guess, just talk about what we've been watching recently, uh, get into the flow of the show, and then this show is predominantly going to be focused on the Oscar nominations for the 2020 Oscars, the Academy Awards, the show that may not matter anymore, but we still think it matters, um, <laughs> at least at least for now, because the Golden Globes certainly don't. Uh, so, uh, Carla, I'm going to throw it open to you, man. It's a new decade. What mm. have you been watching recently that's caught your attention?
1: So I got a couple of messages the other night from friends who said, do not, whatever you do, do not watch the Netflix documentary Don't F with Cats. So I went and watched the documentary Don't F with Cats. (laughs) Um, And so anybody who knows me well knows that I'm a cat dad to a rather chubby, tabby cat named Chewy. So I put this thing on thinking that, you know what, I'm sure I can, I'm an adult. I'm sure I can handle whatever happens. Turns out can't handle it um (laughs) so it's the story of it's 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 a sort of very strange story of internet vigilantism mixed with a kind of true crime podcast about a bunch of internet dwellers who stumble upon these videos of I'm not going to describe what happens in them. It's it's pretty gruesome. But basically, someone does some horrible things to some very cute felines. And it sparks this kind of internet um, vigilante uh, storm across the globe trying to find this person who is posting uh, these videos harming animals the documentary is about how things begin to escalate from animals to humans and it goes from this very disturbing what starts off as it was already a disturbing thing turns into like a David Fincher film come to life which I thought was something that I could appreciate but Apparently I can't. And it turns out I don't have the stomach for it anymore. Um, I think I'm getting soft to my old age. But the the, the whole thing is sort of centered around these this, this Canadian murder um, about a guy named Luca Magnotta. It basically, they're tracking, trying to track down this guy who turns out to be this kind of like model slash narcissist slash wannabe serial killer. The whole time I had been watching the, the, this sort of three-episode miniseries, I was constantly checking on my cat to make sure that he was fine and dandy and sleeping oh. or what have you, you know. So, so when you send me messages about how you can't watch movies like The Nightingale because of certain scenes involving children, yes. now I know what you feel like.
0: <laughs> oh, it's, it destroys you. There's like I now if I'm in a if I'm in the movies uh, and I'm all the way in the city and like there's a scene that's you know harmful against children or. You know, quite mean spirited towards children or anything like that. I literally just all I want to do is leave the theatre, go home, and hug my kids. Yeah, it's 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 just very real trauma. So and like and I'm a, I'm a cat dog person myself. So sounds like the kind of thing I should not watch. I would avoid it if you're an animal lover. See, I can I can handle it because
1: a, a part of being an animal lover as well, I also have a very deep seated like sense like a pool of rage that I can just sort of like dig into whenever I want. <laughs> you know, um, and so I can sort of like, I can I can mitigate whatever kind of uh, harmful PTSD I feel like is creeping up on me. Um, but if anyone out there who doesn't have that kind of well of rage in them, I would advise just avoiding it altogether. It is a brilliantly put together documentary and Netflix is very, very good at putting together these kind of like weird murder documentaries, but it is brilliantly done and it says a lot about, Uh, not so much cancel culture, but like this idea of the pile on the dog pile or, you know, what happens when I guess internet vigilantism can sometimes go too far, but then at the same time, a a, a sort of a true crime thing happening in parallel, you know? So it's, it's, it's a very, it's a very kind of complicated yet immensely creepy documentary, that I can only watch once.
0: So I think the fact that you said it was kind of like uh, living in a David Fincher film, it's okay because David Fincher films are typically fictional, although not the same with Zodiac and Social Network. No, but no. for the most part, you know, like Seven and Fight Club, they're fictional. So we can sort of appreciate them over in their little box over there. But as soon as we start tapping into reality and it's we're like living within a Fincher film, it's kind of like, ah, I don't feel good with this. I'll put it to you, I'll put it to you this way. It's like Zodiac but with far less cool people. (laughs) That should be on the DVD for a streaming show that doesn't have a DVD release. Um, Is there anything else you've been watching, mate, apart from um, horrendous mistreatment of animals? Look, I saw The Gentleman,
1: um, the the new Guy Ritchie film. I've seen it twice now. My if anybody is very curious, my review is up on thisisfilm.com. I think for me, it's a sort of return to form for him. Not not in the in the in the way that sort of like it's a snatch or a lock stock. But I don't think that he's intending for it to be that way. I feel like this is kind of like his last hurrah into this kind of genre, or it could be one of the last few films in this genre. It kind of feels like he's one he's starting to say goodbye to the gangsters genre. Yeah. And part of me feels sad about that, but part of me is also like, you know what, he he was on a good thing. I think it's time for him to sort of move on to sort of like greener pastures and maybe discover a, a different aspect of his of his filmmaking. You know, Matthew McConaughey is In top form But the two MVPs Of that film Are Hugh Grant Who's sort of Channeling this Like really Sexually ambiguous Circa 1965 Michael Caine And A sort of Paunchy Yet very dangerous Colin Farrell who you kind of want to hug but also want to make sure that he doesn't slap you in the face at the same time. He he plays this kind of like guardian angel coach who takes on uh, Wayward teens or Wayward boys and he trains them in fighting to make sure that they're put on the straight and narrow. And it's got basically it's kind of like the retirement snatch, essentially.
0: Oh, so it's like <laughs> Guy Ritchie's the Irishman.
1: Uh yeah, but with way more energy and less uncanny valley. Okay. <laughs>
0: Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. So we well, that's going to be sort of a talk we could have for later in the podcast. I think so. I think <laughs> Look, so. I'm I can't talk about all the stuff. So I made a kind of commitment in 2020. I just got over the line in 2019 with my letterboxed uh, sort of my my logging of films. I got to about 103, 104 films, and that's probably one of my worst efforts. But last <laughs> year was. <laughs> like a year where I had the birth of my second child. You know, I started a brainy basketball program, still teaching film and TV all the time, full time, uh, trying to be a good dad and good husband as well. So I'm trying to do all these things at once. So- All I'm all I'm hearing is excuses. It's, it's a bunch of excuses. And I do apologize to the <laughs> other four people who listen to this podcast, uh, but probably a couple of students and they're like, come on, sir, tell us the answers to the test. Um, but, <laughs> but, you know, um, so I didn't watch as much as I would have liked to. And so this year I've said, look- uh, it's not a huge raising of the bar, but I said, look, at least 150. If I can hit 150, that'd be pretty good. So far this year, uh, I believe my total is 25. So Jeez. so I've done pretty well. Right. So I've tried to squeeze in uh, in the five minutes of rest I get between changing nappies and, you know, cleaning the house and getting outside and seeing the sun, you know, because the whole of Australia has been on fire and it's been too hot yep. outside and then we've mm-hmm. had torrential rain ever since. So <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to go through the films I've watched. If there's anything that you want me to talk about briefly, I can. But I started the year with Your Name. I went to Good Time... John Wick 2 and 3, Suspiria the remake. I rewatched Once Upon a Time in Hollywood again. I did the entire Sunrise, uh, the before trilogy of my wife. So I watched Sunrise, wow. Sunset and Midnight. I finally got to see After Missing Two Media Screenings of 1917. I finally got to see that and I cried. Uh, <laughs> I watched uh, Guy Ritchie's- did you, did you cry more or less-
1: in nineteen seventeen, than you did in
0: Little Women. I don't know. Little Woman was like tears throughout, but like it was just oh, okay. it was just that moment. Like I mean, I'll talk about it now. Um, and I guess we can reference it back. Um, in the later half of the podcast, just the mm-hmm. scene that's completely lit by flares in the sky, yep. and the music yep. swells. The Thomas Newman score just swells, and I'm like, I was just having that kind of. I'm getting it now, like as I speak, like this goosebumpy moment where. It's just what cinema can be and should be. And it's like when it's both art house, but in mainstream sort of filmmaking, where it's just experimental and it's beautiful and it's light and it's practical and it's just. Moving in and out of shadows in a worn, torn little sort of French town—I think it was France—just <laughs> <Yep. laughs> um, stunning. So, like, I, I had a, a visceral reaction to that. Uh, moving on, I watched Guy richie's Aladdin, which I thought was trash. Um, <laughs> speaking <laughs> to
1: of- be fair though, like, he—it's it, the Disney cash in. Oh. Like, every director is doing the Disney cash in. And- they get the check, and they're like,
0: "Oh, I'm going to go make the thing that I always <laughs> wanted to make because I now have Disney money. I have Disney money. I can now you." know collect expensive trading cards um i went and saw little women and yes cried a bunch in it saw bombshell uh i did um, Bad Boys for Life, so I rewatched Bad Boys 1 and 2. I finally <laughs> saw The Emperor's New Groove for the first time ever, like 19 years wow. later. Because, you know, Disney Plus is out now, so I'm sitting there with my daughter going, yeah. what is age-appropriate and something I haven't <laughs> seen before? So she yeah. keeps saying, Daddy, can you watch Frozen? And I said, we could, or let's see what came out in 1961. <laughs> so we're doing, about, <laughs> we're doing a bunch of that. So I'm trying to fill my gaps in of Disney like lore and history. Whilst exposing mm-hmm. my daughter to age appropriate Disney stuff, which most of it's age appropriate, but some things are dark. Yep. Um, and sometimes you'll have
1: to sort of like explain to her the anachronistic sort of like little bits of racism oh. in the early '60s, '30s, and '40s Disney, where you're just oh. like, "Honey, we don't do this stuff anymore." Have you,
0: have you seen the warnings on Disney Plus? I have actually. Yeah, because <laughs> we watched we watched the uh, the remake of Dumbo. This is again in our big. Sort oh. of- <laughs> so we watched that. And then right afterwards, the original Dumbo was put up as a suggestion and, and in the yeah. caption it said, please note that cultural depictions may be outdated and something along those lines. I'm going, oh, mm. they're like seriously making sure they, you know, they, they have these kind of warnings now just in case someone gets their backs up because there is some questionable portrayals of people and places and there's, times. There's, there is literally a character
1: in the original Dumbo named Jim Crow. That's not good.
0: No. Sorry, I was drinking as you said that and I kind of gagged slightly. I was like the pause the pause wasn't because I was confused, the pause was like, oh no. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. It's uh, yeah. Different times then, kids. Different times. <laughs> Look, I finished my time, my viewing recently. Uh, I did A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, which again, just a film that I cried most of the way through. Just, I'll, I'll say this later on again, but just watching Tom Hanks, The Nicest Man in Hollywood, play uh, Fred Rogers, arguably The Nicest Man in Existence. Mm-hmm. It's just this beautiful fusion of niceties. Uh, I kind of finished off my link later, um, catching up with Dazed and Confused. Uh, and then recently, I don't know why it's on Letterboxd, but I watched the entirety of Watchmen, which is uh, I, I, so I've got that in my veins now, and that was a Ooh. ride. So that was a cool little ride. So yeah, so yeah. I'm I'm now Watchmened. Uh, and I'm very thankful for the journey. You know, some very uh, political, topical yep. choices, yep. Um, mm-hmm. which I can see why critics have it like I'm 100% Rotten Tomatoes and the general audience score was like 54. So very politically charged, unafraid to call out white supremacy, you know, yep. uh, switching races. I'm afraid, to call, I'm afraid to call
1: out Rorschach in particular. Unafraid to call him for what he actually is. Yeah. Uh, and and how, as, as speaking as someone who used to idolise that character, good on him. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you made a wise choice. And like you know, I saw all this kind of crazy. Posting about a particular episode, which I couldn't remember the name at the time, but I've finally seen that episode. So the episode that mm. looks at the hooded uh, figure, hooded, hooded justice, hooded justice. So yeah, so I've now, yeah. I've now seen that, and I remember seeing hooded justice uh, both in the comic and in the the 2009 film. Uh, Zach mm-hmm. schneider's version, uh, just in the background, because he wasn't a main character in that film. But uh, I really loved the storytelling device there and the way they twisted that character around and going, "Oh, how couldn't it be that character now?" But yeah, so I don't want to do any yeah. sort of spoilers. Watch Watchmen, yep. but there is—it's heavy, very, very heavy lifting. Something to chew on. Yeah, that's absolutely something to chew on. So look, mm. that is kind of what we've been watching. I've watched a lot now that I'm back at school it probably won't happen. So that could be my watch list for like the next 6 months. Watch you've, covered, you've you've covered yourself for at least a year now. You've covered a lot, yeah. So yeah. well look, you know, you can keep me accountable. We're doing a podcast. It's January. Um yeah. you know, check in with me in in June and see if I'm like up to that sort of 75 mark. If I'm up to 75, right. I'm in the right place, but you know, if I'm if I'm behind that, I'm going to have to pick my act up. So look, yeah. Carlo, let's talk about the Oscars. Mm-hmm. Some people say it's not relevant anymore. What say you to that?
1: I mean, that's fair enough. I mean, I think I think as times change, people sort of perceive uh, perceive awards differently. I think the Oscars have always sort of been a kind of like uh, sort of seen as a kind of elitist stuffy type of uh, affair. And I think that uh, that kind of idea is only growing. Someone actually said it really interestingly the other day. um, The director of um, Parasite, who's been nominated twice for his same film, uh, he um, he actually said, you know, the... uh, the subtitles are only a one-inch gateway to a whole plethora of films, you know. Uh, and he, he was making this sort of, like, call that uh, the Oscars are actually quite a localised thing, you know, and they only focus on a very sort of particularly small thing. But I also see them as a kind of gateway to uh, a larger sort of, like, catalogue of cinema, you know. If you get into, like, one film, you can send then sort of like fall down a rabbit hole of, uh, of a whole bunch of different films that you might not have otherwise known about, you know? Um, and I think that the Oscars are kind of good in that way.
0: I still enjoy it. I mean, and I get it. And I guess because I've been coming more politically aware... You know, I try not to be and then you're kind of forced to be politically aware. And so... I mean, look, it's it's difficult to not be politically yeah. aware. Like everything is politics, yes. you know, and, and it's it's very hard to not be politically aware, you know. You know, I, I've always loved the Oscars since I was a kid. And so, especially in my teenage years and young adult years, when I wasn't as informed about how society worked as much, or maybe I just didn't care. Maybe I was just a bit ignorant, put my head in the sand. Mm. So, you, you know, I, I didn't used to um, think about Hollywood as a particular wing of political thinking obviously this stuff's always been there but i haven't been paying attention and so now i'm sort of seeing it and i'm just going well i wonder if this stuff can continue like this because it's almost like you're you're holding this award show over here but there's large parts of america that just thinks you're full of crap so Mm. and and what's the point but look taking all that aside i really like uh, a prestigious big award ceremony that actually highlights. I like it when the Oscars seems to get the nominations right. And mm-hmm. unlike last year, where I thought the nominations were like totally abhorrent, I actually think for the <laughs> most part, there's a lot of good nominating happening this year. There's still admissions, there's still problems, but mm. I really, really like some of these nominations. So,
1: can I start with supporting actress? Yes. Only because my girl Scarlett Johansson has been nominated for JoJo Rabbit. Yes. Um, And when I first saw that film, I don't know if you've seen that movie yet, um, there's a particular scene in it where she does this kind of like one woman play to her son. And I was like, if she does not get nominated for an Oscar, I will chew the paint off my walls in my apartment (laughs) because it is probably the scene. And to me, it was just like... Marvel has been wasting her this entire
0: time
1: <laughs> because it was probably one of the best performances I've seen her pull. Yeah, um, and it was and it was a single scene. Like she's great through that entire film, but in Jojo Rabbit, she does this. She does this thing where she she plays uh, in a single sequence. She plays the mum and the dad as a to, to get a point across to Jojo. Um, and it is probably one of the great, like one of the most brilliant things I've seen. Like you know, in the last year. Um, so, I'm so glad that she's been nominated for that particular role.
0: Okay. So, in that, in that category as well, you've got Kathy Bates for Richard Jewell. You've got Laura Dern for Marriage Story. You've got Florence. Look, can you help me here? How do I say her last name? Florence Pugh. Pugh. I think it's Pugh. 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 Because I'm going to say yeah. Pew because I keep thinking I'm going to say Poo. Yeah. I'm like, no, that's Pew. Pew. That's so yeah. much better. And I don't want to denigrate yeah. her because she's had a phenomenal 2019. That- Dude, she's on a roll. <laughs> she's on a roll. Uh, so mm-hmm. Florence Pugh was nominated for Little Women. Uh, and then Margot Robbie for Bombshell. So I actually haven't seen JoJo or Richard Jewell. Um, mm-hmm. JoJo, I've tried several times to go to the movies and see it. it. hasn't worked out. But I can comment on Laura Dern does a classic Laura Dern, which, <laughs> which is not a bad thing. But- I love Laura Dern, but she's totally... Totally in Laura Dern mode. Like if you saw Big Little Lies season two, Laura Dern was on fire. She's essentially playing a similar character. And then Margot Robbie is quite a phenomenal character. She plays this kind of composite character in Bombshell where she plays several women's stories in one. So she's not based on a a real life character, but she is based on real life sort of Me Too-esque stories. And so she has the hard, heavy lifting in Bombshell. Uh, She has two quite intense scenes and she does very Mm -hmm. very well in there but i'm quite a fan of of florence at the moment so especially her work in midsummer which has no awards recognition here but she's very very good in little women although in little women she does have to play like a 12 13 year old and then she has to play a 20 year old and it's like it just it doesn't work, but it's not her fault. She does a really good job at it, but yep. it's really hard to play twelve when you are definitely mature. And Florence yep. actually has quite a dark, deeper, like huskier voice, so mm. she just sounds like a mature woman. They give her bangs; doesn't quite work. However, yep. you know that's just a minor quibble. She's very, very good. So yep. uh, I haven't seen ScarJo, but I've heard a lot of lovely things. So, so you're saying ScarJo for the win in supporting actresses.
1: I think ScarJo for the win for me. Yeah. I think it's going to be a toss-up between ScarJo and
0: Margot. Okay. I'll, I'll, I I'll think, I don't know. I, I get there's a lot of sort of momentum towards Laura Dern, so I'll lock in Laura Dern. Yeah. But, yeah, so while we're with the ladies, we can go over to the leading role uh, for the an actress. Uh, mm-hmm. So in this, we have Renee Zellweger for Judy. we got Charlize Theron for Bombshell. Now, again, a name I'm going to say wrong, Shersha Ronan. Is that Searsha? You sure. Searsha? You sure? you sure. yep. You're so good at naming I I think I get on podcasts just so you can correct the way I say names. Do you know what it is? It's
1: just having it living with an ethnic name all your life. So you, you make sure that you you say you say everyone else's name correctly.
0: You're getting it right. I love it. So uh, so say her name again so I don't say it wrong. Saoirse Sh- Ronan. Saoirse Ronan. So, yep. uh, Saoirse Ronan for Little Women, Scarlett Johansson for uh, Marriage Story, so she gets the double nomination for uh, Leading and for Supporting, and then Cynthia uh, Erivo for Harriet. So, mm-hmm. in this category, Charlie Theron is incredible. Yep. Uh, she totally embodies Megan Kelly, both uh, aesthetically physically as well as her voice Frankish, freakishly so freakishly so she just completely disappears it's it's incredible but i, I just think that shesha i'm gonna say her name wrong wrong but um i just feel like this chick is the next meryl streep i just think she has yeah. that kind of uh grace and beauty and she has this particular starlet quality but she's so dominant with her performances. It's it's so effortless and powerful. Like her stuff in Lady Bird and everything that she's been doing, even since mm. you know we're thinking, um, what was the movie that she caused the scandal and everyone dies? Uh, uh it's the yeah, it's the war one.
1: The war one. Yeah, it's on it's on the tip of my tongue. It's got Keira Knightley, <laughs> Knightley, and Knightley. And James McAvoy. James McAvoy. It'll come Atonement. to me. Keep going. Atonement, Atonement. Atonement yes. that's the one.
0: Like, you know, even when she was a young lass in Atonement and going, geez, she's mm. good. And then, you know, Hannah and she's just been... Oh, God, oh, she's God, so good in Hannah. She's so yeah, good in go Hannah. So this <laughs> this is just a girl who I just think, man, this is... She is she's the next Streep. Streep's still around doing her thing, but I feel like... And so it's funny when you see Streep in the film with her. So, so mm. my bet is for uh, Little Miss Ronan for uh, Little Women. Uh, do you have mm-hmm. a particular favorite for that one?
1: Uh, my money's on Charley's. Yep. I think Charlize, the, like as someone who's a bit of a political junkie,
0: who, adho- who abhors anything Fox News, she nails it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see, that's interesting. With like, have you seen Bombshell, or just like you know about what it's all about? I, I, I know what it's. I know. I know what it's all about. So, but I, I'm 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 very familiar with her
1: character. <laughs>
0: yeah, so they kind of make her a really interesting. They try and make her a bit of a sympathetic yeah. character, but they also don't hide some of the stupid stuff that she said. Yeah so mm-hmm. it's a really complex character it's really interesting of mm-hmm. a film like I kind of liked it but didn't like it It's I'm sitting somewhere in between I felt torn watching it which you know I, that reviews on thisisfilm.com if you're interested mm-hmm. in hearing me debate whether I liked it or not look let's jump yeah. over to the guys for a second because I think there's some really cool nominations here that we want to sort of highlight um, we'll start with supporting so we've got Tom Hanks yep. for A Beautiful Day in the Neighbourhood we've got Anthony mm-hmm. Hopkins for The Two Popes in the Irishman category we have Al Pacino and Joseph Pesci um, uh, yep. And then we have Mr. Brad Pitt in What's One yep. Time in Hollywood. So, your thoughts on these incredible gentlemen? Like, I mean, if you look at those names, you're going, well, that's just Hollywood royalty right there.
1: Yeah, 100%. Al Pacino and Joe Pesci probably have put in a very. The thing about The Irishman is that it's very low key and it's almost probably one of the more anti Scorsese films Scorsese's ever made. Yes. Um, it, you know, it's, it is a gangster film, but it never feels like a gangster film. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, those two together in one particular scene broke my heart. Oh. Um, and, and if you know it, it's the I don't know you've seen it oh, so I'm, gonna, I'm thinking I'm, that
0: it's at the award ceremony.
1: Uh, no, it's Ooh. the uh, the grape juice scene oh. you know between in the in the, uh, in the prison, yes, when they're, when they're sharing the bread and the grape juice. Oh. Uh, and, and they're talking about you know, Jimmy was a good man mm. and there's this moment where they they pause and, and and De Niro can't look at him and it just it kills me every time I watch it. Yeah. <laughs> but having said that though, Brad Pitt pulling in probably his best performance since 12 Monkeys. Yeah. Um, I, 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 as a dude on LSD <laughs> smash in the face of <laughs> one of the Charles Manson like murderers, <laughs> which was just like probably the most horrific thing I've seen on screen
0: at least in the last 5 years but also you couldn't look away so good on him i mean i i could talk about once upon a time in hollywood for hours and and maybe when it wins best picture we should do a whole podcast dedicated to it i think so because there is rewatching it again uh, i just i get lost in the world tarantino has just done such an immensely powerful palpable this you, I just feel like I'm in that setting so like talk about like production design and yeah. cinematography and just the use of music and camera work and the performances just you can costuming. you can tell he's he's been living with this movie for ages oh, you can it's, just tell you can tell it's it's uh, a man who grew up in this era uh, and has mm. fond memories of it and is mm. is taking it from memory and written it down into the pages and then helped other people to, like, see the vision come to fruition visually, palpably, like, you know, out there on mm. on sets and on streets. Um, but Brad Pitt is just, there's something so charismatically drawing about his character in this. He's just, he's always cool. He is yep. so cool. Cool in this. It's yeah, he's the the leading man who just happens to be a stunt man rather than the leading man and, and yeah. you just believe it. But you also he's the nicest guy on the planet. He's <laughs> seriously, there's that moment where he goes back after they've had the big shoot. So you know that the massive chunk of the yeah. film was that that second day in the film when it's the shoot. And then Leah's like, Do you want to come and watch He goes, I thought we might. I got a six-pack in the back, we order some pizzas. And like, just yeah. having a guy like that on your team, on your side. Like ready to be your best friend and just know yep. what you need and be ready to do that. And having his back at all times, doing the dirty work, uh just mm. you know, including like because he basically saves his life the whole time. So pretty much I, yeah. I, I love that. But I do look, I hope Brad Pitt gets it. Tom Hanks is just wonderful in a beautiful day in the neighborhood. There's a moment where uh he breaks the fourth wall and looks directly at you. Um, mm. And they do it both as the presentation of what the Mr. Rogers neighborhood used to be like, a wonderful damn neighborhood. So that they do it like the television show where he looks directly at the camera. But then when it's not in television mode and it's just in normal cinema filmmaking mode, and he just keeps trying to break down this guy's wall and trying to help him. So it's all about mm. helping someone come to terms with their pain and their resentment towards their father and all that kind of stuff. And he just he just gets him to like take a moment to just think about all the wonderful blessings he has. And as yep. that happens, he looks at the camera and the, everyone goes silent. And the movie theater makes you sit there for like a minute of silence and just reflect. <sighs> and it's just beautiful and like just, it's otherworldly. You're going, why is a film making me do therapy right now? And it's working. <laughs> <laughs> so, I was I was quite a fan of that. But look, you know, Joe Pesci... Uh, That whole Irishman film, just seeing Joe Pesci in that kind of legacy role, going from uh, the man in the Scorsese films that was always rough and trying to make his way to the top of the gangster line and being violent and vulgar and... Impatient and all that kind of stuff, and seeing him always get his comeuppance in those earlier Scorsese films, and then in this film, him being calm and collective, and yeah. the man, and just silent and restrained, and going, oh, just seeing him on screen again, it was just enigmatic. I loved it. So big fan of Joe Pesci's work. He won't win it. Um, it'll nah. be Brad Pitt, but man, oh, Pesci, just wonderful work. Look, let's jump over to the guys for a second for the the leading uh, actors. Mm-hmm. I know that you and I both love this performance. Antonio Banderas in Pain and Glory.
1: Oh god. Did that yeah. break you
0: in half? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He yeah.
1: <laughs> I can't actually talk about it without crying. Yeah. <laughs> he, he, he he it's weird because he 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 embodies the director of the film so well. Yeah. You know, and, and and he just goes through so many things and you see him struggle and it's well, you know, as the film as a whole, it's kind of like the first film that I've ever seen that actually makes taking heroin look wholesome. <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> you know, I thought it looked like a, like a more of a relaxing sort of thera- yeah, therapeutic ordeal like, rather than like this, uh, this is gonna mess your life up, buddy. This,
1: yeah, it, it, it's very yeah, it's 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 got a very kind of retirement feel to it as opposed to say like Requiem for a Dream. <laughs> you know, it, like, even to the point where the doctor's like, "Well, you're gonna you're gonna go into withdrawal," and he's like, "Yeah." And my whole cinema would just laugh. I thought it was the funniest thing ever. But he, he, he was astounding in that film. Like he took himself down to a sort of very incredibly frail state. And I say that as someone who's like a massive fan of Desperado. Um, but just to see him like that, just to see him embody that kind of frailty and that kind of weakness um, was probably one of the best things I've ever seen him do. I haven't seen the Picasso miniseries that he did, but um, I would say this is probably his best performance he's ever done. Whew. Yeah
0: like like, like better than Puss in Boots
1: oh mate it's just uh, <laughs> like look it's neck and neck mate it's neck and neck and I say that as someone
0: who loves cats but you know <laughs> oh I love it it's awesome okay so look in this category we also have Leonardo DiCaprio Once Upon a Time in Hollywood look I, I don't think it's Leo's best work but I think it's buddy Leo's best work like I you but know that that's yeah that's that scene where he's like it, having a crack at himself oh, oh look when I when I say it's not his best work like Leo that's me being facetious Leo's yeah. best work is always Leo's work like Leo is just <laughs> Leo is best work <laughs> Leo mm-hmm. is the guy so like yeah. I love him in this film and yeah when he finally like realizes he's a drunk and says it although you know, Tim picked up on this when we were watching it. The, I watched it the second time when he watched it for the first time. He's like, Leo's drunk the entire film. Like, yeah. Like, he's... <laughs> he. And you watch Leo. Leo's so clever in this film. He's drunk the whole time, but he switches it on to act. When he has to act, he switches it on, but then he loses yep. it. And then he's looking for validation, and then he gets it back. And so you're actually seeing, yep. like, this actor playing an actor who is trying to figure out where his place is in all this so and you're just seeing that struggle work like really well but he's doing it comedically and when he has a hissy fit in his trailer it's like one of the best scenes of 2019 so Mm. I'm a big fan of that I just don't think it's his year personally I would love to see Adam Driver get it Uh, for Marriage Story that whole breakup sequence with Scar Jo just seals it for me I mean I was listening to a podcast that was dissecting Star Wars the other day and they said Mm. um, Adam Driver was too good for Star Wars He's so and it's just, it's totally true. Like Adam Driver is um, again just one of these kind of generational talents that yeah. is, is too good for some of the things that he appears in. And in this situation he is just perfect and just mm. completely plays a man who doesn't want to devolve into a fight, who's trying to make this separation work, doesn't understand why it's happening to a degree, um, and and you kind of sympathize and empathize with them. but then you also see, actually, no, you have these characteristics that are hiding and they're coming out and then they come out and you're going, oh, okay, I can see why maybe this relationship doesn't work. Adam Driver's mm. excellent. Jonathan Price is nominated for The Two Popes, but the guy that people think is going to win is Joaquin <laughs> Phoenix in The Joker. Carlo, are you okay with this? <laughs> uh, I, uh, oh.
1: From a performance standpoint, yes. I think I'm, I'm fine with this. Like, I think I think if, if you're focusing specifically on the performance, I think it's Oscar worthy. Um, I think he puts a lot into it. I think he put a lot of work into it. Um, and uh, even while I was watching it, I have my issues with the film. Um, but... Uh, the one thing that I can take, well, the two things that I can take away is a the cinematography is amazing, and B he was he was genuinely amazing in the film. Like I can't I can't necessarily fault him in that performance. So, <laughs> but the, mo- the movie su- the movie surrounding him, um, I, I,
0: I, yeah, I got anyway. I got some issues. <laughs> so uh, I've got I have questions. <laughs> I have questions, Father. Yeah. You must have questions. Wow. Um, look, I. Yeah, Joaquin Phoenix is totally deserving of the highest possible praise. He totally is. Like, it's just not this film. And at the end of the day, it's okay. Like, Scorsese won for The Departed after Mm. years of being overlooked for directing and and not winning for films that he should have won it for. So, Goodfellas, Mm. you know, definitely definitely should have been in the conversation. Won it. Numerous things he should have got it for. So, if I look at his previous films, so like Her. You Were Never Really There, The Master, Mm -hmm. Inherent Vice, all those films – these are films where I'm going, this is the apex of modern acting. Like this is full embodiment, especially something like You Were Never Really Here. Like, I don't know if you saw that one, but just... Is that the Lin Shay one the, uh, where he plays the hitman? Uh, Lin Ramsey. Oh, sorry, Lin Rans- Ramsey. Ramsey, who plays the hitman and he walks around the, yeah. with a hammer. Uh, yeah. And he's he's been an, an ex-marine uh, that comes back uh, and is... Weird relationship with his mother, all that kind of stuff. And it's just an intense, ferocious performance. The thing with Joker is... I just can't get past the fact that it's literally trying to be a Scorsese film, and it's mm. it's using the Joker mythology, like it's using the number one villain of all time, uh, at least in like sort of pop culture comic book world. Uh, it's mm. using that to tell this gritty, like rip of a Scorsese film. So the whole product that it surrounds in just bugs me. But it's his performance is very very strong. The moment where he dances in the bathroom after he does his first killing is is very powerful. But mm. I just. I, you know, and I think the clip they're going to show to show off his acting is probably going to be the one in the studio toward the end. And I'm going, I just felt it was all really cringy at this stage because the writing and the direction and where it's all led to hasn't warranted this kind of reaction. So, anyway, look, if we look at this as kind of like a legacy, like even though he's still a relatively young man, like the fact that he's put in so many hard yards for so many good films, if they're going to honor him with it, that's fine. But I just wish it was for one of those other films
1: yeah no that's fair enough I mean I like personally I'll, you know what I'll say my bit about Joker once we get to the best picture <laughs>
0: <laughs> look um, we'll jump over to cinematography because they're saying that you know you're a full-time cinematographer you have your own uh, wedding photography business uh, you do mm. incredible like if you guys haven't seen uh, Luna Red this dude's stuff on YouTube and uh, on Instagram and Facebook all that stuff Carlo is a phenomenal cinematographer he has beautiful beautiful images. so if you want Someone's opinion on beautiful images. You need to listen to Carlo. So, Carlo, what stands out to you in cinematography? Uh, all of it.
1: The, uh, this year is actually like you kind of your sport for choice. Yes. Um. I can't. I can't actually fault anything on, on this list. <laughs> um, anyone who wins this, I won't be mad. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, uh, you got Rodrigo Prieto, who is going for the Irishman. He's done some amazing work on that film. Jo- uh, Lauren Shur for Joker, like. I'm in awe of that stuff. I'm in awe of that the photography of that film. Um, You've got uh, Jaron Blasch for The Lighthouse. Um, I haven't seen the film, but from what I have seen from trailers and clips and what have you, shooting in black and white like that in a 4-3 kind of ratio is tough. That is hard to do. And the fact that he's pulled it off is intense. Um, Roger Deakins is Roger Deakins, 1917. (laughs) Like... Anything he puts his camera at, like, he just, he can't fault the guy. Um, And then Robert Richardson for, like, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, Again, you know, these are probably, like, the top shelf, like, you know, like, black label type um, uh, cinematographers. Um, And I can't fault any of them. Like, whoever wins, I'm like, fine deserving <laughs> so what's your gut instinct if you had to like call one who do you think wins ooh it's gonna be I would say a toss up between well it could be the three 1917 Joker or the Irishman yep. I think the Irishman will lose out because it's Netflix so uh, it, it could be between Joker and 1917 I would maybe say 1917 only because of the uh, not not a gimmick but the the, the 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 mechanism of it being a kind of a one shot film
0: and the thing is is like Nineteen Seventeen is. I mean, people people who are not so much in favor of that film have been criticizing its lack of narrative. And I'm like, it's that's not what it's about. It's this immersive experience. It's it's this but I mean, moment in uh, yeah, time. Sorry, so on. and and so yeah. for me, it is very much about the camera. Um, and mm. and I knew that going in. And I watched it, and I'm like, yeah, it's about the camera. It's about the fact that. This camera is so steady the whole time, and they're in these practical war zones, and they're in this gigantic watery crater, and that camera is steadily floating next to them. And then there's like mm. all this water, and somehow that camera is still steadily going next to them along the water, and then it goes through the barbed wire fencing, and they're going it hasn't cut the whole time, and you can tell the sneaky cuts, but then they go underground, mm. and then they go, and like I said before, the the lens, uh, the sort of the flares that are flying up into the sky, that is just beautifully shot and the challenge of getting those the way that that's been captured um the intensity of the final moments across the war field the battlefield itself uh so Mm. i I literally think that you know it's it's kind of roger deacon's flexing more than he's ever flexed and i'm totally on board with that because i'm quite a fan of his work i follow several accounts on facebook and instagram that are just uh bastions of um, Roger Deakins' praise, and it's a bunch of screenshots, and you, you can't yep. fault almost any frame he's ever nah. captured, uh, and and some of the frames he's captured are some of the world's best shots. So and yeah.
1: yeah, and the thing the thing about his work that really annoys me, that really annoys me, is that it always looks so simple. There's this wonderful simplicity to his works yes. that I don't think people sort of like really appreciate. Mm. You know, um, cinematography is a very hard thing to do. But when you do it in a way that looks effortless, like that's... You you bow down to that dude, man. Like you're just like you know, if you, if he's walking down the street, you part like the Red Sea, bro.
0: Like <laughs> make way, bro. Make way. Make way. Make way, <laughs> mate. Make make way. Well, look, let's jump down to directing right now because we kind of talked. Mm-hmm. To, we're we're getting close to the end of the the pod. We're getting close to the end of the nominations. I mean, we could talk about costumes and documentary shorts and all that stuff, and they're all very worthy. We don't have much to say about them at this stage. You know, we just mm-hmm. hope the, the most deserving people win. Uh, in the directing doms, a lot of the same films are being nominated, um, so we have got Scorsese for *Irishman*, Todd Phillips for *The Joker*, 1917, Sam Mendes, Quentin Tarantino, *Once Upon a Time in Hollywood*, and uh, Bong Joon-ho for *Parasite*. Mm-hmm. Again, probably stuffing up names, but they are our dudes. And I'll make one snarky comment and stop. This is the first time ever where a director has been nominated for imitating another director that was nominated. So, <laughs> oh
1: man, so, yeah, we're, we're gonna get all the angry Joker fans on this one.
0: Oh, probably, I don't know. Oh, look, look, if they're angry, at least they're listening. So, I'm just
1: gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna, get, a, I'm gonna get a very angry email from Benjamin Taylor. Oh, I'm, t- I'm telling you now. Sorry, Benji. <laughs>
0: uh he needs a hug uh, we love you benji but you do need a hug so look um again it's one of these situations where i'm um, i'm i'm a homer for tarantino i'd love to mm-hmm. see him take home a direction uh oscar but i really feel like uh parasite is gonna get some awards on that night and and yeah. deservedly so that's my number two film of 2019 so um you know if 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 we can get over the one-inch subtitle, uh, we can get that director nomination and uh, win as well. So, who do you think stands out here?
1: Oh, I want to see Scorsese, man. Yeah, I want to see it. Yeah, I want to see it. I want to see a fellow Italian get it. (laughs) Um, I, you know, for something that wasn't, you know, dudes on mobile phones. Yes. Um, I think that. The Irishman is a really special film, and I and people are like praising it, but I don't think people understand how special it is in terms of his kind of like uh, overall catalog of films. Like this is this is this is him saying goodnight yep. to crime, you know, um, and and to that genre. Not sort of necessarily walking away from it, but this is him really sort of like putting his stamp on it and being like, okay, you know, enough now. It's also um, it's also him leaving the door slightly ajar. Yeah, but I think for someone else. Yeah. Honestly, I think I think personally I think this is him saying this is I don't think we've ever seen a film like this in terms of like, you know, what it's like to live with uh y- y- you know, the souls that you've taken. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and we've we've, you know, I think we've seen films like that but not to this extent you know not to the to the to the degree that Scorsese has gone to to tell this story um, well this is so this, I'm, isn't I'm, I'm, a, yeah. this isn't much of a this
0: is much of a spoiler here because the film begins with you know the Irishman, yeah. De Niro being an old man talking to someone. So that's that's how the film's framed. So yeah. you realise that we're going to see De Niro as an old man. And this, this film is... The gangster genre is always about the rise and fall. The fall is usually quite bloody and chaotic. So you usually yeah. see people, you know, their lives ending with a hail of bullets. And yeah. this is what happens when those halo bullets only reach certain people and other people have to live. Um, yep. And and yep. watching that, the, the people with so much power and so much prestige and so much so much red marker in their ledges having to just mm. still live it through until the bitter end yeah. and how cold and lonely and isolating it is. I, I found the final 40 minutes devastating. Um, it's pro- some of the most oh, yeah. personal devastating. And it's that swan song. It's that... Legacy of, like, so many years of working in the gangster genre and just seeing these men at the end of their careers in a way, um, Mm. looking fondly back, but then dealing with their mortality. I found it quite haunting.
1: Yeah, it was was really striking. It is basically, like... You know the 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 you know people want to say it's the third in the Casino Goodfellas trilogy or whatever. Yeah. Um. But it is those films, but without that kind of manic energy. Yeah. And when you take away that manic energy, all you're left is all you're left with is just straight violence. You know, and that is a horrifying thing. And you this and you can't glorify that in any way. You know. Um. And I I think it's I think it's almost a perfect film for me
0: yeah oh absolutely I had it I had it incredibly high I think I had like I don't know, four and a half stars so look yeah. so your pick is for Irishman my yeah. my homer pick is Tarantino but I, I really feel like Bong uh, again Bong Joon-ho I feel yeah. like that's I, I, I don't know whether or not they want to give it to sort of you know a foreigner who's working in sort of foreign cinema like I'm assuming Parasite's absolutely one you know best foreign film so we'll see what yep. happens but you know it, it is cleaning up man it, I, it and deservedly so it's one of the most deserving films I've ever seen if, if it wins yeah. everything I will be totally happy because I'm like yeah. yep that, that makes sense that makes absolute sense so speaking of which in terms of best international feature film there's a bunch of films mm. I haven't heard of but there is Pain and Glory and Parasite I'm assuming this is Parasites victory I don't think we need to talk too much about that one look there's there are a few other wards we could talk about I think we'll quickly just go to the, the screenplay nominations. So mm-hmm. we've got Irishman, Jojo Rabbit, Joker, Little Women and The Two Popes. Uh, mm-hmm. Little Women is actually a chance for Greta Gerwig to get an Oscar considering she wasn't nominated for director. Yep. I would have taken Todd Phillips out and put Greta Gerwig in. I think what she did with time and relationships and tension and just the brewing of sisterly, sisterly relationships was excellent. But obviously it's it hasn't happened. So if she gets the win for Little Women... I'll be quite happy, um, but obviously, The Irishman was a three and a half hour epic of gangster twilight years, and then Jojo Rabbit, you quite liked yourself, so uh, it's quite Jojo Rabbit, I I adored. Yes, yeah. So, you know, there's a few that we could, um, you know, vote for and like. Um, I, I think some of the powerhouse original screenplays here. This is a really tough category. Knives Out, Ryan Johnson. Marriage Story by Noah Baumbach. Uh, 1917, Sam Mendes uh, and Christy wilson uh Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Quentin Tarantino. And then we've got Parasite, again, by uh, Bong Joon-ho. So... You know, that's a tough category. And I f- knives out, oh, knives out. I nah, love No, just give it to Knives Out. <laughs> I love it. Give that it to side. Ryan. Well, give look- it to Ryan. And then
1: and then let him wear a last Jedi T shirt <laughs> as he takes the stage. I hope he drinks the
0: tears f- of fanboys as uh, he gets his That's award. what I want him to do. Yeah.
1: Just <laughs> just feel like yes, here I am.
0: I know what I'm doing. Everyone just shut up. <laughs> <laughs> the the amazing uh Sort of uh, people who are struggling to come to terms with the fact that Knives Out is really, really good. There are so <laughs> many people online saying, "But wait, this guy did The Last Jedi." I'm like, "Yeah," yep. and that's yeah. a masterpiece. And you're an idiot because yep. they're going, yep. "But Knives Out's so good." And and yep. I remember there was a, a guy who was commenting, and he was like, "I had the best time ever at Knives Out." And then at the end, it said, "Written and directed by Ryan Johnson," and I yelled out, "No!" I'm
1: just
0: going- so, you're admitting you just had the best time in the movies in 2019, but because of who wrote it and directed it, you didn't realize that as you went in. Like, they weren't even yeah. hiding that. They said the director of The Last Jedi and Luke. The Last Jedi, yeah. So, yeah, exactly. Anyway, people are idiots. So, look, yeah. if, if Knives Out wins, that would be delicious gravy and uh, and and just smugness, just throwing that in the eyes of Last year's haters. So, look, let's just jump to Best Picture. I'll, I'll yeah. name them all out. Um, we'll see how many you've actually seen, and we'll go from there. So, okay. Ford versus a Ferrari, The Irishman, Jojo Rabbit, Joker, Little Women, Marriage Story, 1917, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and Parasite. So, for me, again... I, I have a feeling that Once Upon a Time in Hollywood has a really good chance of, of taking it all out, considering it got it's won a bunch of awards. I feel like Parasite's going to win best foreign film. So because it does that, the typical thing is, well, you've won one mm-hmm. category, you won't win the next. They kind of did that with animated films before. Yep. Look, yep. I've seen all these films except for Jojo Rabbit and Ford versus Ferrari. I I feel like neither of those are really... In the, mm-hmm. in the sort of running here to actually win it. Uh, what do you think might win?
1: Uh, do you think Joker is going to be this year's green book? This year's
0: crash. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Honestly, I think it, it could be, it could go anywhere between 1917, Parasite and The Irishman. And again, I think because there's some sort of, still kind of like an aversion to Netflix, I think yeah. The Irishman might lose out just because of that. Um, but then again, Spielberg and Scorsese are good mates, so that could be a tense conversation later on that evening. Um, uh, it's hard, man. Honestly, it's tough. It's a tough one. Ford v Ferrari, that'd be a weird one to win.
0: I think I think Marriage Story is not winning uh, Best Picture. I feel like 1917 uh, yeah. is quite the technical powerhouse of a film, a bit light on narrative, but that's the point. To a degree. It's more about these two men on this mission. It's a it's a time mm. timed experience. It's an immersive experience. I feel like you're gonna get a lot of people who yep. uh, appreciate the level of technical wizardry on display, but I think they might want more story. I think Once Upon a Time in Hollywood just it plays into Hollywood's hands of someone who mournfully looks back at the golden era, the 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 before the new Hollywood kicked in, like the, the classical Hollywood, like they, mm. they favor those films. I'm thinking about, you know, singing in the rain and the artist, anything that sort of lovingly looks back at, at Hollywood. So I feel like that's got a really good chance. I mean, and that would mm. make me very, very happy because I'm, I'm always championing for um, Tarantino films to win best picture. I, I feel like little women would be great to mm-hmm. win. I'm scared it's Joker um, because I have a feeling it might be,
1: but uh, I don't know. Honestly, not sure. I don't think <laughs> you so. I said don't know. Every option.
0: I think it's going to win. Actually, it won't. I don't know. I have no idea. <laughs> I don't. I don't
1: know. I don't know. I don't want to say anything definitive, otherwise I'll look like an idiot. But um,
0: uh, I, I personally look. Let me say right, this. So you're you're right. going to say you're hoping Honestly, for JoJo, but what do you think will win? Because we're going to have to keep it on accountable. We're going to talk about this after the Oscars. So I'm going to say. Once Upon a Time going to win even though I can't say the name properly because I'm tired and it's late I'm going to say that Parasite wins Foreign and Once Upon a Time wins uh, Best Picture that's my that's my vote uh
1: coin flip between 1917 and Joker okay flip the
0: coin tell me which one <laughs> uh Oh, I don't have a coin on me. Oh, stuff it. Nineteen Seventeen. Just flip your cat over. See what happens.
1: <laughs> uh, he's yeah. He won't. He won't appreciate that whatsoever. <laughs> Even if it is in the name of cinema, he won't appreciate that. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll say Nineteen Seventeen. I think. Cool. I think. I think Phoenix is going to take out best performance. I think Nineteen Seventeen will take out best picture.
0: Excellent well look we've kind of brushed through a lot of information here uh for those who don't know how we operate we did say to each other a good 25 minutes to thirty <laughs> minutes for a podcast and we're approaching the hour mark and this is usually what happens we we may when we don't have a major awards season to sort of go through the awards we may have some shorter experiences but hey look we're back it's it's carlos making a return to the podcast so can i look it's Always a pleasure to hang out with you and to hear what you have to say and to just get your Mediterranean vibes on this podcast. <laughs> just, just, uh, seeped a little olive oil into there. <laughs> yeah. Well, look, do you have any final words to say to our audience before we say night, night? Uh,
1: be nice to each other. Yep. And watch more movies.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So guys, if you want to challenge me to my 150 films in a single year, you can follow me on Letterboxd, you can talk to us on This Is Film. If you like our podcast, if you like what we're doing, please make sure you like, subscribe, comment, share, just let us know you're listening. That's really, really good to hear. But our Facebook's pretty booming. So, uh, you know, if you see a funny meme, comment on it and get involved. If you see any of our articles, we'd love to hear what you think. We have a lot of people who like to actively engage in our competitions, but when we sort of raise our reviews, we don't hear as many bits of feedback we'd love to open conversations with that as well so if you think I'm stupid for disliking Rise of Skywalker <laughs> in, a, in a very nice way tell me just talk to me about it it's good so we want to have these can, kind of dialogues with you can, so.
1: can I just say before we end Yeah. the text, the text message I got from you the, <laughs> night, the night you came out of the Rise of Skywalker I, I can't tell you how much it hurt my heart <laughs> just
0: you going I'm devastated and I was like oh no <laughs> Well, you know, to put it into context, it means everything to me, and it completely ruined it. Uh, But uh, to put it into more uh, less sensational context, we just watched Marvel land all of the planes game. Like every plane that was floating in the air was landed to perfection in the most cathartic, emotional, visceral, uh, geeky, fanboy way. we always wanted to see Cap with that hammer, but we didn't know we wanted it. We, we knew it was tease a long time ago. And mm. then when it happens, you yeah. know, just, just just one of many, 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 many moments. Like it, it saddens me that we never spoke about Endgame properly. Uh, we maybe will have to do a revisit because I kind of want to watch uh, Infinity War and Endgame together. But just just the fact that Endgame landed it so perfectly. Um and just Star Wars just did the opposite of that. Star Wars was very reactionary and very much just fan service, crab pleasing, course correction for last Jedi which didn't need to happen. So that just saddened me. It just saddened me that it was it became a product um, and not a natural cohesive extension of a story that was being told Star Wars matters to me but you know at least we've got Endgame so I'm going to wrap it up there thank you so much guys for listening pledges to be doing this fairly regularly so uh, you will should be getting uh, episodes fairly early most weeks uh, depending on how life goes so on behalf of Carlo and myself thank you for listening please check out thisisfilm.com and thisisfilm on Facebook and Instagram and on uh, Twitter and uh, we'll tune in with you next time see you later bye bye
1: That man is playing Galaga,
0: thought we wouldn't notice, but we did.